0: Hi friends, it's Susan Blackwell from The Spark File, your one-stop shop for creativity where our doors are open and if you smell something delicious, that's because Laura Camion and I have been cooking up something special, something designed to make a big difference in people's creative lives. Enter The Brave Creative, a free 5-day guided adventure to rediscover the vitality energy and possibility in your creative process whether you're a writer a performer a baker a candlestick maker navigating the creative process can be a bear but never fear there's power in numbers at the spark file so let's link arms and make the trip together it's may 13th through 17th 7 p.m eastern less than one hour per day and if you can't join live don't worry about it. You can watch the replay. Join us by going to thesparkfile.com to register. And hey, if you're not familiar with the Sparkfile, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Secondly, we work with hundreds of creatives of all different kinds who are ready to take their next big step. We help folks fear less and create more in a community that is so fun and vibrant. And if you have joined us before, know that we are going deep with the brave creative. So buckle up, Buttercup. It is going to be an awesome adventure. Go to thesparkfile.com to register, but do it soon because it all starts May
1: 13th. thesparkfile.com. Register now. The Sparkfile podcast contains profanity and other adult content. And this episode also includes discussion of suicide take care when listening when i bump into something that inspires me i jump in my spot
0: to the Spark File, where we believe that everyone is creative, but smart, creative people don't go it alone. I'm Laura Camion. And I'm Susan Blackwell, and we are creativity coaches who help people fear less, create more, and bring their creative visions to life. If you're
1: an OG member of the Sparkfile community, hey, welcome back, Sparkler. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome, new friend. Know that just by listening to this podcast, you are joining a warm and wonderful clan of creatives.
0: But you may be asking yourself, what exactly is a Sparkfile? A Sparkfile is a place where you consistently collect All your inspirations and fascinations. If you're like us and you're making stuff all the time or you want to be making stuff all the time, you know, if you're not careful, your campfire
1: of creativity can flicker out. But don't despair. We're collecting kindling in the form of fresh ideas, images, and inspiration that spark creativity and peak curiosity to light a fire under our collective asses to make things like this podcast. Or a discussion
0: that actually asks for whom the creative bell tolls. Spoiler alert. It tolls for thee.
1: (laughs) Every episode, we're going to reach into our spark files and exchange some sparks. And from time to time, we're going to talk to some folks who spark us too. That means we have more sparks than we can possibly use in this lifetime. So many sparks. So if something lights you up, we encourage you to take that thing and make something out of it.
0: Without further ado, let's open up the the spark spark file. file.
1: Laura Cambion, Susie B.
0: Huzzah, huzzah. How are you doing? I'm
1: good. It's Spark Day, which always feels fresh and fine to me. How are you doing? It feels fantastic. You know, I went to a little cafe this morning to do some writing. And upon entering, I said hello to the woman there. I said, hi, how are you doing? And she said, you know, I can't complain. And I said, neither can I. Neither can I. Not one thing to complain about. Doing good. That's nice. Out in the world and people are doing good. That's great. It's a beautiful day. It is autumn oh of
0: 2022. It's Gorgeous. been a really, really pretty autumn. Ugh. It is just like all the autumn colors and the crunch and, the, and crisp, the crisp. And it's been great. I know you love this weather, Laura. I love in. The
1: crispy weather. I love it. Crispy. Crunchy. Would you live someplace where you could have crispity, crunchity autumn most of the time? I would. Now, my beautiful lifetime partner, Wesley Day, would not. He would not have that. So we've got to split the difference on the thermostat, basically.
0: The thermostat (laughs) of love. Well, we're enjoying it. We're enjoying it. It's I been loving it. Oh. it. It's been beautiful. It's beautiful, and we get to record a spark today. And uh, should we jump in? I, should we do I this? I say, let's spark it up. All right, today I am sparking you. <gasps> I'm excited. Spark you back. So, Laura, you will recall, and maybe some of our listeners will recall that back in June of 2021, I shared the spark that I titled "Write Like Your Parents Are Dead." Oh, yeah, you did. I don't mean to be provocative, but if you haven't heard that spark, you're welcome to go back, give it a listen or don't. If you don't want to do that, I'm going to catch you up now. So when I titled that spark, right, like your parents are dead, I didn't mean like write about your parents being dead or that I wished your parents harm. No, 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 no. What I meant with that provocative title is as we approach our creative work, I think Laura and I are both interested in cultivating a mindset that allows us to be as free and self-expressed as possible with inhibitions released in our world, there are lots of folks who have a desire to spin their lived experience into their creative Mm self-expression, us included. Mm -hmm. And we've done so in many things we've made. The musical's title of the show, and now hear this, Laura's play, Echo Speaks, is a great example of that. Thank you. We
1: do it. We like to do
0: that. We like to do that. Talks and films and curriculum and stories and podcast episodes. I may even do a little bit of it today. But our lived experience shows up in all sorts of places. Laura, have you ever put your lived experience
1: into a screenplay that you made, a movie? Well, my short film called Foreclosure. Yeah. It um, was based on some things that happened to my sister. Not, (gasps) not to me, but yeah, to my sister, yeah.
0: Oh, this is great. This is a great example of like, is is that your story to tell? Did you check in with your sister
1: before you told that story, Laura Camion? Oh yeah, I I did. You know, this topic fascinates me because I don't think you and I land in the same place. Not, and that's not bad. That's good. Like, no, it's, it's just a very personal thing. It's just different. It's different places. But yeah, I did talk to my sister about it. She didn't mind one bit.
0: Well, there you go. Green light. Go ahead. I love it. So this desire to spin our lived experience into self-expression can present a conundrum for creatives, as Laura and I were just bantering. It's a very personal <laughs> decision about where that boundary line lies. But our stories don't exist in a vacuum. Our stories often feature other people. Those people might be Laura's sister or your parents or friends or people we've loved and lost to breakups or deaths. So how do we tell our version of events and still represent those folks and our work and further how do we tell our stories in a way that doesn't scandalize innocent bystanders like our kids or our grandparents or mm-hmm. our work colleagues or mm-hmm. our fellow parishioners mm-hmm. very real yeah. yeah it is you got you you just have to i feel like come to terms with it for yourself not mm-hmm. to not to put the spark in front of the horse but as as you all listen to this and Laura as you listen to this spark that i'm about to share see where you fall on it. Because that's the most important thing is that you have clarity, conscious clarity that you can refer back to. And you feel at peace with it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So something I didn't focus on last time, but I think it's worth saying now, this isn't just about spinning your lived experience into your creative self-expression either. In both fiction and nonfiction work, you may want to create things that include aspects that may be considered less acceptable in polite society. For instance, Maybe you want your creativity to include themes around sex or violence or random weirdness, and you may not have lived it, but maybe you want to reference it or have your central protagonist experience it, but maybe you intuit that your Aunt Fanny wouldn't approve of that. That's also included in the Spark, which is why I'm titling it, Write Like Your Parents Are Dead Again. Nice. Is it nice, Laura? (laughs) Maybe not, but I'm not worried about what other people think. I'm worried about what speaks to... Me. I might be a little worried about whether people think, but here we go. So I said it before. We just said it a a few seconds ago. This is not blanket advice that I'm doling out to everybody. Mm -mm. There is not a single correct approach for all creatives all the time. Mm -hmm. This spark is just meant to get you thinking about what is right for you. But... Write like your parents are dead is actually an option suggested by Anne Lamott in her wonderful book on writing, Bird by Bird. If you want to learn more about that book, we did an episode of the podcast on it a while ago. Also, if you want to learn more about it, you should just read the book. It's awesome. So good. To bring you back up to speed, Anne says, We write to expose the unexposed. If there is one door in the castle you have been told not to go through, you must. Otherwise, you'll just be rearranging furniture and rooms you've already been in. Most humans are dedicated to keeping that one door shut. But the writer's job is to see what's behind it, to see the bleak, unspeakable stuff, and to turn the unspeakable into words, not just into any words, but if we can, into rhythm and blues she goes on, you can't do this without discovering your own true voice and you can't find your true voice and peer behind the door and report honestly and clearly to us. If your parents are reading over your shoulder, they are probably the ones who told you not to open that door in the first place. You can tell if they're there because a small voice will say, oh, whoops, don't say that. That's a secret or that's a bad word or don't tell anyone you jack off. They'll all start doing it. So you have to breathe or pray or do therapy to send them away, right as if your parents are dead. Thank you, Anne Lamott. Thank you, Anne Lamott. Now, that is just one person's point of view, but it is a very informed point of view. It's the point of view of someone who has created extensively
1: from their lived experience. Laura, I see you taking notes over there. What are you thinking? Suze, I have so many thoughts. I mean, I'll I'll try to chime in at the appropriate times, but I think... To, to add on to what you're saying about hope for our listeners, I would hope that people check within themselves to see if this idea of X person might be upset yeah. or this might disturb someone or this isn't my story to tell. If any of those things are keeping you from creating... Then that's something to contend with because I do think sometimes people can entangle themselves into stories about who this might hurt or who might be upset or who isn't going to like it the way they did it or the way they told it or the way they were represented, et cetera, et cetera. And that can grow into a complete blockade of your creative. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: This is actually interesting because recently, Laura, there was something that you had made. Fully made, fully, and when it got to the point of the sharing of the light of it, you were like, "No, nope, I'm not going to do that." That's right. And I also know you to be someone, as evidenced by this very day that we're experiencing right now, who it's not a block because you keep on making things, and you just you yeah. you you, ha- you made a judgment call. Yeah, you made a judgment call about the sharing of the light yeah. of a single thing that you had made, which is different than what you're talking about, which is. Allowing all of those stories and might somebody be mad at me or might somebody might somebody clutch their pearls at this becoming a whole thing that stops you from making
1: stuff and sharing it. 100%. Yeah. And that thing, that case in point that you just mentioned, like I just determined this is not the moment that things are a too fresh yeah. and a person is going through something right now. And now it's not the time. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that I won't ever share that. Yeah. But the other thing I think about Susan, I don't know what this, I really don't know what gave me this compulsion at that, at this age, but, um, as many of you know, like I am a a young divorcee or I was young when I became (laughs) a divorcee, I should say way back when. And this is one of the conversations with this kind and wonderful human being who I, you know, cared deeply for, but was not meant to be married to. One of the conversations I remember having, I had written some stuff in my journal and I was like, I think I'm, I think I'm feeling like I might be a writer and I've got some things to say. Yeah. And he was, um, a more religious person than I, and, um, I said to him, like, for example, here are some things that I have written about, like in my journal. And I fear that the church, quote unquote, the church that you are uh, attending or any other church, like may not be happy with it. And he expressed, that's true. He wouldn't be happy. And like, why would you write about that? Yeah. And something clicked into place. And I was like, and why would I be held back from writing about that? i I think I'm out. Like I can't live in a world where I can't express what is happening inside of me. And whether or not I share that with that expression with the world is something else. But I don't want to be blocked from from putting it down on paper.
0: I'll say that. So young, nearly divorcee, Laura Camien had a, a growing realization that you were like, I am not going to prioritize this relationship over my self expression.
1: Yes, and I'm not going to prioritize the pleasing of some people in an organization religious or otherwise. Yeah. And prioritize ha- their thoughts and feelings before I even yeah, begin to express myself? No. Yeah. Girl, you know I'm with you.
0: You know I'm with you. Mm -mm. Uh, A young, burgeoning awareness, how I love it so. So in researching the spark, I found a dissenting opinion written by the novelist David Wellington. David wrote a blog post back in 2018 titled, Bad Advice, Write Like Your Parents Are Already Dead. And in that blog, David wrote... It's good to be a little libertine in your choices as a writer. You want drama and excitement and a little adrenaline to spice up your stories, but there are two reasons I think this is, if not terrible advice, at least worth questioning. The first is that your parents, actually let's open this up and say your loved ones, regardless of their legal relationships to you, are the best support staff you're going to get. They can nurture you and be your best first readers, and their stories can inform what you write. So then David goes on to share this lovely, specific anecdote about how supportive his father was towards David and towards David's writing, which is so beautiful. Wonderful. But yeah. but we don't all have loved ones as accepting exactly. and supportive as David's dad. Not to say that our loved ones may not outright object to our work. They may simply not understand elements of our work or how to discuss creative work in general. So David makes another point that I find potentially more compelling. David says, strictures and limitations are what make art great. Most great stories come from some kind of artificial rule, some boundary set up against the author's progress by forces they couldn't control. He then says, there's a reason why Monty Python movies aren't as good as the television sketches. I'm not sure I agree with you there, David. But David says, Forced to work within arbitrary rules of censorship on state media, the Pythons were forced to go absurd. They couldn't just make endless jokes about shit and fucking, so they had to get surreal. In closing, David writes, don't write like your parents are already dead. Write the story that's going to make your father or mother or wife or cousin or crazy best friend proud of you. So Laura and I have talked extensively <laughs> about the benefits of creative limitations. I love, love. I love a yeah. good creative limitation and with the right creative limitations, I think both of us have really cited examples where we feel like we thrive. Uh-huh. But for me, I just don't believe that every piece I create benefits from the creative limitation, that the piece is aiming on some level to make my loved
1: ones proud. You know, I've got to go with you on like, David, I think it depends on who your loved ones are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I have a thousand thoughts about this because I'm just like, yeah, it sounds like he doesn't have a lot of family issues that he needs to explore. That's wonderful. And that's great for David. But it does not discount all of the other healing that people are working on when they are writing about, you know, their family stories or their life stories. And I also would like to, if you don't mind, just split one hair here a little bit. I'm going to split this hair. Split it. You know, I am never advocating for let's name the names and take down the people. Right. Of course. We're talking, or at least I'm talking about fictionalizing things that are inspired by people, places, and events of your of your life. And when someone watches it, they may be like, well, that seems strikingly like me, but they're not named after that person. They're not actually attacking that person or calling them out. It's only, If that person wants to be like, I think you wrote about me in that nasty little scene right there great. They're welcome to call attention to it. But the rest of the world is not going to know that was that woman you worked with in the office seven years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to ask David, what kind of stories would make your parents proud? Like one where there isn't any conflict? I don't, I, I mean, I'm just curious. Yeah. It's a
0: great question. I have two thoughts. One is when we say write like your parents are dead, we mean create like your parents are dead. And again, that's not blanket advice, but the, the, the concept is whether you're a painter, whatever medium you work in, creating with as much freedom as possible. The other piece is I just feel like David's very I think loving, I think this comes from a a real loving place and very well-meaning suggestion borders on invoking the air freshener vampire
1: Yeah,
0: and having that air freshener vampire sit on your shoulder while you create. Laura, your comment reminds me of that. Like, what would make David's parents proud? Like, what is David I'm aiming curious. at in yeah. David's work? Yeah. So you all may have heard me talk about the air freshener vampire. I wrote her into a little song called Die, Vampires Die in the musical title of the show. And generally speaking, a vampire is any person, thought, feeling, memory that impedes your creative self-expression. And specifically, the air freshener vampire, who to me looks like my mom. She's got a perm. It's very sweet, very well-intentioned, looks like my mom. It has wings that look like my mom crocheted them out of some yarn she got on sale at Walmart. And Cam's listeners, I hope you know by now, I fight hard for the powers of good. And I'm also a bona fide weirdo. I cuss, I used to impulsively lick people on the face. And when I have a pure impulse to say something weird or do something weird. That's when that air freshener vampire might show up and it comes bearing a can of Pine Fresh Vanilla Island Breeze renews it Mm. and it just sprays me and tries desperately to cloak the smell of my weirdness with its synthetic fresh scent. It tries to keep me from getting the stink of my
1: weirdness. On anybody else. (laughs) Or getting onto my loved ones. That's right.
0: But if those delicious weirdo impulses get sanitized away when I'm trying to express my creativity, I don't count that as a win, even if it makes my loved ones feel proud and comfortable. So- I just named my mom when referencing the air freshener vampire. And I want to acknowledge my mom is not the judgiest mom. But when we were little, I got the message loud and clear about what was acceptable and unacceptable to talk about and create about story time. I remember when I was little, we were having dinner. It was a summer night. And I remember we were having dinner, but it was still bright light outside. Mm -hmm. And I think I feel like my grandma might have been there Mm -hmm. just to... Like mm-hmm. raise the stakes at the table, yeah. And someone asked me what I did that day because you know we just sort of ran around in the neighborhood
1: <laughs> in the olden times. That's in the olden times, did. like people, yeah. we
0: were not really being you know watched closely, but we were good kids. But we just wandered around like yeah. one of those family circus cartoons of Billy's Dotted Line. <laughs> Do you remember those old timers? Yes. yes. Uh, just going from thing to thing, just. Just doing, moving towards whatever tugged at our curiosity. So, s- someone, my mom or my dad said, What did you do today? And I said, We drew pictures of naked people.
1: And we had <laughs> some little group
0: of neighborhood kids. <laughs> had we had this temporary fort made out of a kind of this box that we crawled into in this- ba- this empty field, yes, glamor, and we crawled in there, and on the walls of that box we drew a naked man and a naked woman and yeah. I when asked what we did that day that's what I said. We drew pictures of naked people, and I remember Laura this record scratch and silence at the table. <gasps> naked people. What? And then I'm not sure if it was my mom or my dad, but one of them said, you know, you should draw pictures of nice things like flowers. Uh I remember it so clearly. Uh, You should draw pictures of nice things like flowers. So I heard that message. And sometime after that, my parents put me into private art lessons where I learned how to paint, you guessed it.
1: Nice things. Flowers.
0: <laughs> so, yes. it was a it's oh a mixed message God. though.
1: Drawing?
0: Yeah. Yes, yes. Creativity? Yes. Naked people?
1: No. No, no, no. no, no, no we no. don't do that. Mm-hmm. So,
0: and and listen, my parents had a point. It was probably not age appropriate for a 5-year-old or a 6-year-old to be drawing naked people, or at least if you're going to draw them and you're going to bring it up at the dinner table, have a have a conversation, an age appropriate conversation about it. That's honest. So,
1: uh-huh.
0: um, but I remember g- just loud and clear getting the message like, Mm-mm, there's some no. things you
1: don't create about. Yeah,
0: no, Yeah. So, wow. Cut to about 11 years ago. I'm a grown ass adult, clearly, and I interviewed Billy Crudup for Side by Side by Susan Blackwell, Uh on Broadway.com. And Billy is famously the voice of the MasterCard Priceless campaign. Uh Do you know that? Like, I don't know if you all remember that, where it's sort of like um, a trip to the Berkshires, $500. New hiking boots, $50. A weekend with your family, Priceless. It's one of those things. But So I had written, and I made Billy record (laughs) my outgoing voicemail,
1: And this is
0: is what I made him read in his famous MasterCard voice. (laughs) A suitcase containing 65 pounds of baboon noses, street value, $33,000. The haunted ruby-encrusted skull of a 17th century monk, $450,000. One ounce of powdered unicorn ejaculate, $1 million. The voicemail you're about to leave Susan Blackwell, priceless. (laughs) So I have him record this.
1: That's Awesome. We film the interview. Oh.
0: He leaves that message on my outgoing voicemail. I totally forget about it. And then I get this voicemail message from my mom. <gasps> and she had just heard that outgoing message. And she, I, I'm going to try to do it as accurately oh. as I can recollect it. She, So there's a silence. And then she goes, uh, okay. And if you're a sensitive person, wow. you can use that uh, okay, okay, as evidence that we don't use words like ejaculate outside of a doctor's office. And we certainly don't put them on our outgoing voicemail or our mom might get frosty with us. And even writing about this, I was like, does my mom listen to this podcast? Do I need to soften this or not call her out or not use the word ejaculate again? I've now said it three times so far. Who knows when I'll stop saying ejaculate, Laura Kamian. Will
1: you tell your mom about this before it airs? No. That's kind of new though. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but I also know you to be the person who's like, I ran all of this by my mother. I ran all of this by this person.
0: I feel like... Uh, the reason why I could say no with such, uh, with just like, yeah. you know, just yeah. absolute resolve is because I'm pretty sure she doesn't know how to find a podcast. Got she it. couldn't locate it. Yes. She wouldn't know how to yes. play it if she did find it. So it's a little bit right like your parents don't know how to find a podcast.
1: Yes. Amen to that. Yeah. That yeah. Could, yeah. That works too. Yeah. But it's also, I do
0: think that this, whatever you want to call it, this rules of engagement for each artist. I do think that they change over time. Yeah, and maybe minor are changing as well.
1: Yeah. You know? yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting to me. I don't want to jump your spark if you if you're going to hit on this, but where I think some people get tripped up is the idea of truth in terms of. I need to tell the truth about what happened and the impossibility of that. Yes. This is where I think it blocks some people creatively because it's not possible to tell the truth about it. At the very best, you will tell your recollection of that truth, which is scraps of memories you have pulled back together into some semblance of a story that makes sense it will always be your yeah. version of that, yeah. And 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 so I think that's you know I, I'll get feisty about this because I feel feisty about it. There is no truth. So we're we're like creating some target that is not possible to hit. It's just not possible.
0: I hear you. There's still that part of me that wants to be as impeccable as I can. Tell me what impeccable means. Like I want to, this is why for something where I do think my parents would hear it, or it's a story that I've, not an episode of the podcast that I've just sort of cobbled together, but something really crafted. If I'm referencing, say my mom, I'd want to check in with her and say, it is my understanding based on what you've told me that this fact 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 are your lived experience and be impeccable about that and if she's like all of those except number 4 I'm like then we'll cut number 4 uh-huh yeah that's what i mean
1: yeah i mean that makes sense in the if if you're if you're creating something where that's possible i contend that many a person has cut things from a story because they are unflattering mm. and we're forgetting the We're forgetting the reality that in all of our stories, people can do something bad and not be something bad. So if you want to tell a story about, remember that time Laura snapped and said just the meanest thing, just the meanest thing. If you write that story about that and you include that moment And you include what happens later, which is the character of Laura feels terrible about what she'd done, circles back and corrects it, has a moment of redemption. So you're not, I could go back in and be like, ah want you to show that part where I snapped and said <laughs> where I said something really ugly that's not very nice but without it you don't have a story mm. without you don't have a story of redemption without something that needed to be redeemed well I think this
0: is something that I've heard you talk about a fair amount how writers I'll focus on writers right yeah, now yeah how we so don't want to put our characters even if they're fictional characters through tough things that will pull obstacles and real like hero's journey stuff will smooth the path for them. And it's sort of like you are not making this fun for your reader, your listener, your... Yeah. Yeah.
1: We'll not only pull our punches in terms of what happens to our character, but we will not allow our character to show what is a true range of humanity, which means, yeah, Sometimes they make mistakes, they say something, they fuck up, and it is the forgiving of that character that allows us to heal. If we remove that from the story and we're like, we had a perfect human being and look at this, they responded to everything perfectly and they arrive at more perfection. Uh huh. We're not healing anything, we're not talking truthfully about anything, and that's boring. And it's boring, but it gets
0: complicated when you're drawing from real life people in your life. That's right. So, I just want to say. It doesn't have to look like that your loved ones are going to disown you or hold a mock funeral for you if you express yourself in your art, though there are certainly people who have contended and are contending with that. And if you're listening and that's happened to you, I am so sorry. That is terrible. The way typically that this manifests can be a much more subtle tut tutting. That if you're not conscious of it, it can form a little vampire that can stand between you and your creative self-expression and prevent you from sharing all sorts of elements. Things that, to Laura's point, might make your work much more vibrant and fun. To, oh, I mean fun. I don't mean fun like a joyride, but much more, much more exciting for people who eventually take in your work. And potentially more healing. And yes. potentially more healing. Yeah. So me... Speaking for myself, I want to use many words, including ejaculate. There, I got another one in. There you so go. I'm choosing not to write like my parents are dead. I'm choosing to write like they're not listening to this podcast. But that's just me.
1: That helps too. Yeah, so that helps, that helps too, too. Be too. like, write this play as though your parents aren't going to come. Write and this then, play like your parents aren't going to come. Yeah. you know, you can deal with it later, but. Or decide to hold the play until later. Or do the play in another state. Or do the play in another state and they're not coming. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. But it, again, every artist, it is incumbent upon every artist to set these guidelines for themselves
1: with the acknowledgement that it can evolve over time. That is correct. Yeah. Can I mention one other thing? Like yeah. Not just like your parents being dead, you could choose to write certain things um, as though it'll be published after you're dead. Oh,
0: that's a more graceful way of writing like this is going to be published posthumously.
1: Because like Paul Newman's, I don't know if you read much, I haven't read the book, but I've read about the book that Paul Newman did a bunch of interviews, all of which edited into a book published after he died. Now, many of these articles are really interesting because his kid, his kids are being asked like, when your dad wrote about the sex room that he and your mom had, how did that make you feel? And they were like, we were delighted. It was so fun that they handled it in this way and we knew their relationship to be this and that. I've got
0: to get a hold of this Paul Newman book. Yeah,
1: what? Yeah. Joanne Woodward, apparently, what did she call it? Oh, shoot. I'm going to, the sex hut or something like that. She decorated, like she set up a whole bedroom for them just to kind of have romps in when they wanted to get away get from busy. the kids. And get away uh. from the kids. And the kids were like, Yeah, there were locks on that on that room. And and they they had such fond and happy memories. Like it didn't bother them at all. Yeah. Yeah. But it is one way you might deal with, like, oh no, you know, I, I just don't want all of this to come out while I'm alive. Great, hold it till later. Yeah, I like it. One of the main reasons I wanted to revisit this
0: topic is because of someone I've talked about several times on this podcast, David Sedaris, so just to bring you up to speed quickly, David is another person who has written extensively about his life, which of course includes his loved ones. And while he has fun, funny, celebrated siblings that he loves to write about, it's not always a love fest. He mm-hmm. has written very honestly about his sister Tiffany, their conflicts, her suicide, by the time she took her own life, she and her brother David had not spoken in eight years. And in his master class, he talks about how the very last time he saw her before she died, right before he was going to do a signing after one of his book readings, she showed up at the an open stage door, saw him and called out to him. And in response, he told the the handlers at the event to close the door. Mm. And that was the last time he saw his sister alive. Mm -hmm. And the way that he writes about that is not particularly flattering towards either of them. And even though he's known for being a humorist, he doesn't undercut it with a joke. And it feels very authentic and true and human. Mm -hmm. So the thing that's re-sparked in me is David had a new book out called Happy Go Lucky And when he was promoting the book, he was on NPR's Fresh Air talking to Terry Gross. And he said something that struck me about how writing about his father has changed since his dad's death in Mm. May of 2021. This is what David said. I think what changed was there's a real person and then there's the character of that person. Mm -hmm. And when you're in a story or an essay, you're the character of who you are. My father was not a good person but he was a great character. I know plenty of people who are good people, but terrible characters. They just don't work in an essay. They just don't advance anything. When I wrote about my father in the past, he was like, oh, that nut. Gee, he can be tough sometimes, but it's lovable Lou, but that's not really who he was. Now that he is dead, I just feel like I can kind of let that aspect of it go.
1: Wow. And Laura,
0: have you by any chance read Happy Go Lucky? No, but I have it. So <laughs> he really talked about letting it go. Now that his father is dead, he's really writing like his parents are dead. I yeah. listened to the book two times, read by David Sedaris. Wow. It's ex- Laura, this is the understatement of the century. Based on David's point of view Yeah. and David's truth, it is extremely honest in regards to his dad. He talks about his father's lying. Yeah talks about his the way his father talked about his daughters in sexual ways he, he recounts this thing about asking one of his daughters to go with him into the woods so he can photograph her topless. Oh David God. does not hold back in this writing. Oh, God. But he wasn't totally pulling punches about his dad before his father died either. He
1: just wasn't revealing everything.
0: Everything. That's right. Yeah. So in one of his earlier wow. books called Theft by Finding, David Sedaris wrote about his father's mantra towards David of, you're a big fat zero. Uh, and in this interview that David did with Hugh Delahanty in AARP, David said, When I think back, I wouldn't wanted another father. I'm completely happy with the one I got. Everything he ever said to me, I did the opposite. Everything. And I made a nice career out of reacting against him. If he had been my biggest cheerleader, I would be a nobody today. He'd say, you're a big fat zero. But that's exactly what I needed to hear because I think... Oh yeah. I'll show you. Fuck
1: around and find out.
0: Fuck around and find out David Cederas is dad. So, I don't know. I I was just very aware as I listened to Happy Go Lucky, as I started doing more digging and research around revisiting the spark. I was like, this is not an easy. When I when we talk about like establishing your own guidelines and rules of engagement, It's not easy. It's murky. It is. It's murky because humans and your interactions, memories are infallible. Um, People are unreliable narrators
1: of their own experience. Like it could get very murky. It absolutely can. And I just think that, like, understanding that any story that we experience from another person is their part of the story. Yeah. And honestly, they might change the way they tell that story over time as well. That's right. But. In this moment, right now, this is the way they are telling that story. Are there other sides to the story? Absolutely. Yeah. Are there other ways you could tell the story? Yeah. Absolutely. Something that
0: illustrates this case in point, David also writes pretty frankly about his sister, Tiffany, who I just uh, described, Yeah. in both the book, Happy Go Lucky, and in the Fresh Air interview. And I also, I found a 2004 Boston Globe article written by Gina Moore. And it was all from Tiffany's point of view. Wow! It was written before she committed suicide. And it was clear that the journalist, Gina Moore, had spent time with her in her home and had kind of a different point of view. So the headline is Sister in a Glass House. And under the headline, it reads, the good news is that her brother is a famous writer. The bad news is that David Sedaris keeps putting his family in his stories, even though his sister Tiffany prefers her privacy. So in the article, through Gina Moore's writing, we get to hear from Tiffany herself. She was an artist in her own right. She did a lot of collaging and mosaicing glass and ceramics and things that she found in people's trash. Um, And in his essay, After Tiffany's Suicide, David summed it up like this one day she'd throw a dish at you and the next she'd create a stunning mosaic made of the shards wow so she you know she, tiffany sounded like somebody who really struggled with a lot of demons mental health um addiction a really really tough set of life circumstances and she could be somebody that like literally throw A plate at you, but she was also an artist capable of making beautiful things out of that broken plate. So, um, in the 2004 Boston Globe article, Tiffany says of her five siblings, I was the only one who told him not to put me in his books. I don't trust David to have boundaries. Our friends, our shrinks, the guy who gives us our meds, they all think David is incredibly violating. But then everyone says, Oh, what? Does your brother not like you? Even when he doesn't write about you, he's writing about you meaning she asked not to be written about, and then her requested absence in his writing garnered unwanted attention as well. That's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think this is a really, really good example, Suze, because it's fair. Like, I would probably be mad as well if my sibling did that. It's all, it's completely fair. Yeah, yeah. And yes, like, I don't think we can sit here and say, write whatever you want and no one's going to be mad. Yes. That's not true. It's just not true.
0: Yeah. That's why I stress that this is, I mean, it's a a provocative title for the podcast episode, but it's not blanket advice because there are repercussions and ramifications and you have to get clear for yourself about what your tolerance level is for, you know, blowback. So just... Again, more of this case study. In an interview on Fresh Air with Terry Gross back in May of 2022 when Happy Go Lucky came out, David was very candid. Terry Gross went deep and David Sedaris went there with her. It is a great interview and I highly recommend it. And in it, David says, one day Tiffany asked me never to write about her and I said, that's no problem. And then she called and said, everyone thinks you don't like me. Will you write a story about me? So I did. And I sent it to her and I said, is this okay? And she said, yeah, I love it. And it's really funny. And you capture me perfectly. And then the book came out and she was like, I can't believe he did this to me. I can't believe that he would betray me like this. And it's like, you see, you just couldn't trust her, you know? So I got this sense from reading Tiffany's account and David's account, and reading countless people weigh in on this on Reddit and other online forums, there isn't an easy, clear cut answer about whether or not David had the right to reference Tiffany in his writing. So, this is a sister who struggled with mental illness, addiction, and this dark, troubled past. And again, there are so many differing opinions about this. So, yeah. if you are making work based on your lived experience, or if you want to put things in your work that may be, I don't know, a little, the pearl-clutchy or hot to the touch, I think it's important to get clear with yourself about what your rules of engagement are. Yeah. If it frees your self-expression, you can try writing like your parents are dead or put more gently, as we've discussed, write like your loved ones are never going to read it or hear it or see it or write like it's going to be published posthumously like Laura was just saying what were you going to say Laura
1: well and or like if the story can be told without the use of actual names I mean David Sedaris is specific because he uses very clearly these are my sisters these are my parents and makes no uh, like his line was I actually make no attempt to conceal who's who yeah But another way of doing that is like writing all about your family by making it like a fictional family or changing all the names of the people and maybe even sometimes attributing a story to your sister that was actually your brother that did it, like shake it up a little bit. So you do tell the stories, but it makes it less like a a journalist might actually call up that person and say, we understand from your brother's book that you did this.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Another, you remember that Banksy painting that sold at auction and it immediately shredded itself? Yeah. Yeah. Create like that. Create like your work is immediately going (laughs) to (laughs) shred itself. If you're inclined, you can do what I sometimes do, which is discuss it with people before or not. You get to decide. Yeah. But again, at the risk of repeating myself five times, we encourage you to make these decisions consciously because if you don't, your fears which may be subconscious, may keep you from telling your story.
1: So, yes, I mean, 100%. And that idea that we might be able to create from our heart and our deepest pain points and not have anyone ever be mad about it, dislike us or dislike our work, it's just not a reasonable hope. If you remove anything that could possibly offend anyone ever, um, and I'm not talking just about family, I'm talking about like, if you're thinking, I'm going to put a show out there that will not disturb a single hair on anyone's head. No one's going to dislike anything about it. It's just not, it's just not reality or it's so washed down that sure, no one was bothered by it because no one's going to remember it the moment they walk out the door. And you, I, I would posit that you also won't feel as though you truly expressed yourself because you pulled, you pulled everything. Yeah. So I guess I, I just feel like what is the real fear that we're dealing with here? And sometimes it is the fear of putting a story, any story out there, and knowing that other people are going to have opinions about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard. It can feel challenging. Yeah. And you have to decide if it's worth it to you. That's right. You have right. to decide if it's worth to you. 100%. But, but do us a favor and think about it consciously and don't just like live in that place of maybe forever because then you could just go ahead and live with the regret of never having made anything at all. Mm. I'm going to close with this. This is a, this is something I've said on this podcast before. And I often quote, and I quoted it the other day, driving down the road with my, my sweet (laughs) husband, Nathan. It's a 2012 tweet from Anne Lamott. It's because Anne Lamott always gets the last word. (laughs) You own everything that happened to you. Tell your stories If people wanted you to write warmly about them, they should have behaved better.
1: And that's my spark. Boom! Uh, Mic drop. Little man Lamotte. Wow. Yeah, I think uh, this is a great spark. And obviously, I think it's clear I get sparked by it as well, Suze, like every time we talk about it. And I think it is such a worthy exploration
0: for people. Well, I'll tell you, like, you know, different people have different appetites that they are satisfying when they consume art, culture, creativity. Yeah, And you may be like, I love David Sedaris's first book. I love the jokes. It makes me laugh so hard. And I don't need this like darker family, like this, this tumult. And, and that's just a question of like where your personal taste lies. Uh This book, Happy Go Lucky, not that David Sedaris needs any more promotion from me, but like It is crazy how honest it is. I mean, yeah, uh, and I do think it is because based on, you know, what I've heard him say in interviews, et cetera, now that his father and his sister who were two really, really challenging folks in his life, Mm -hmm. now that they're gone, it's sort of like no holds are being barred. It is is so honest. Yeah. It is super honest
1: yeah and it sounds like it might be a step too far for for some people uh-huh and it might have been exactly what he needed in order to be self-expressed and you know sometimes you can do that and three people buy the book david Sedaris has you know many many others who buy his books and i i would say that could be evidence that other people have healing to do as well. And his books help them heal from their family experiences.
0: Yeah, potentially, potentially. For me, it's a great case study because it's it's operating with high visibility and high stakes. And I think there, there's somebody in our, I'm thinking of somebody that's in our um, Sparkfile community. And they were expressing some apprehension because they've experienced a lot of creative output recently and there's been a lot of support that showed up for them. A lot of people have turned out to see their work, to read their work, etc. cetera. Yep. And they were like, I feel physically sick and I'm like, I think it's a little bit of an upper limit yeah. problem where you're sort of like, uh, I'm not sure yet. I've caught up with my deserved levels about this level of support and attention mm-hmm. towards my work, mm-hmm. but I also was like, having higher visibility is can be real anxiety provoking. Oh, so the sure. David Sedaris uh, case yeah. study I feel like is a good one because it's sort of like I didn't I, when I was younger I didn't understand like, I I desire success and I fear success. Right. And I was like, Oh, I get it now because one of the aspects of success is there's a lot of reasons to fear success. But one of them is like, you should see these Reddit chat boards, people weighing in about whether David Sedaris has a right or not to tell stories that involve, especially his sister, Tiffany
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: and mm-hmm. I'm like, everybody's got an opinion, but that's why I think David Sedaris clearly has clarified in his mind where his boundaries and what his rules of engagement are. Mm-hmm. And also he acknowledges in his writing that the murkiness and the unresolved conflicts that existed before Tiffany committed suicide. Mm-hmm will exist for him until he dies like he, he will yeah. not necessarily find a clean easy resolution with an understanding with a little bow on top
1: that's right
0: yeah that's right so that's what i mean when i say all of it can get real murky and you oh, you want to for sure. you you want to gain as much conscious clarity around this for yourself as a creative as possible
1: that's right and you might not agree with like I I don't know where I fall on that spectrum. Like, I think maybe for me, like David Sider, where he has his line is probably further out than where I would have my line. Uh-huh. And that's okay. Like, I, I think like all of us being aware, like again, like you are empowered to put that line where it suits you and allows you to feel free as a creative and also feel like, I'm not harming anyone. And he has his, he obviously feels, you know, like he has the reasoning for why it's okay for him to do what he does. Everybody gets to put that line, you know, where they want and need to put that line. Yeah. Put that line where you want. Give it some thought though.
0: Give it some thought, but not forever.
1: Not not forever.
0: Get back to work now back to creating and self-expressing. Yeah.
1: And I'll just say this, remember you can create something and choose not to share it out at that moment. Yeah. But if it is knocking on your door and it needs to get out, yeah, get it down on paper, sculpt it out, draw it out, whatever you need to do. And then that does not need to go out into the world immediately. You can contemplate that. It's it's the Hilma off Clint rule. Remember Hilma
0: from episode one of this very podcast? That's right. Hilma did not intend for her wild ass paintings to be seen until well after her death because she felt like the world could not handle it. They were not ready to have their asses blown off. And she's not wrong. The world can barely handle it now. Those paintings are so fucking rad.
1: That is correct. That is correct.
0: It all goes back to Helma. It, It really does. Friends, I think that's it. This episode of the Spark File was made on the lands of the Lenape people. And as always, we hope this put another bunch of sparks in your file. Listen, if there's a spark you'd like us to explore, or if you'd like to learn more about how to coach with us to bring your creative ideas to life, you can email us at thesparkfile at gmail.com or submit any inquiries
1: through our website, thesparkfile.com. We'll even take your feedback, but you know the price of admission. First, you got to share a creative risk that you've taken recently.
0: You can follow us on social at the Spark File and be sure to subscribe, rate, and five-star review this podcast. It really helps listeners to find us. Also, if you like this podcast, we do hope you'll share it with people that you love. And if you didn't like it, oh, no, don't don't piss off a couple of writers. We will write about you.
1: (laughs) If something lights you up and gets your creative sparks flying, we're writing you a forever permission slip to make that thing that's been knocking at your door. It's your turn to take that spark and fan it into a flame. You know, you got to take it and And make make it. it. Bye. Bye, everybody. When I bump into something that inspires me, I dump it in my spark fire.
0: Could be something that I wanna make or how I wanna be I pump it in my spark fire I jump into my spark fire Let's open up the spark fire Hi, friends. It's Susan Blackwell from The Spark File, your one-stop shop for creativity where our doors are open. And if you smell something delicious, that's because Laura Camion and I have been cooking up something special, something designed to make a big difference in people's creative lives. Enter The Brave Creative, a free five-day guided adventure to rediscover the vitality energy, and possibility in your creative process. Whether you're a writer, a performer, a baker, a candlestick maker, navigating the creative process can be a bear. But never fear, there's power in numbers at the Spark File. So let's link arms and make the trip together. It's May 13th through 17th, 7 p.m. Eastern, less than one hour per day. And if you can't join live, don't worry about it. You can watch the replay. Join us by going to thesparkfile.com to register. And hey, if you're not familiar with the Sparkfile, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Secondly, we work with hundreds of creatives of all different kinds who are ready to take their next big step. We help folks fear less and create more in a community that is so fun and vibrant. And if you have joined us before, know that we are going deep with the brave creative. So buckle up buttercup, it is going to be an awesome adventure. Go to thesparkfile.com to register, but do it soon because it all starts May 13th, thesparkfile.com, register now.